Um, just so we can get this out of the way, uh, people wonder why I'm like this. I'll be like this for 10 weeks. Uh, I had surgery on my Achilles tendon. Um, I had a bone spur on my heel, and uh, it was behind the tendon, so they had to sever the tendon, take off the bone spur, and reattach the tendon. So I'll be rolling around on this cart for about 10 weeks. So, But I'm doing great. I'm fine. All is well, and God is good. So, Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to get into the Word of the Lord tonight. I, I really want to share this with you. It's been on my heart since Sunday and um, really gripped me today. And it's going to be a series that I'm putting together. I, I believe that the church at large needs to hear this, grow with this. Um, so I'll be teaching it on Wednesday nights, and maybe you can sh- spread the word to get people to come. But uh, the series is about the last days, and, and I believe with all my heart that we are in those days. And uh, what we're going to have to contend with most of all in these days is a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of fear that's going to come that is going to be absolutely brutal. And in this title, Overcoming Fear, uh, there's a kind of a play on words. You're either going to be overcome by fear or you will overcome fear. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual warfare. And so it depends on what spirit you are of. And even though you may have the Holy Spirit, how many of you know you can still be overcome by fear? And, and so what I want to do is over the next number of Wednesdays is prepare us how to be a fearless people, how to be a people who can overcome the spirit of fear that is going to rain down like a torrent of floods. It's going to literally paralyze people. And so we want to learn how to be that people who can overcome fear, okay? So I just want to take you through some concepts and some ideas here. First of all, I believe that significant events can release spiritual dynamics in the earth. Uh, They've happened throughout centuries, throughout histories. There have been world wars and uh, countries have risen and countries have fallen. Uh, I believe the enemy is behind much of it, but of course, over all things is the sovereign will of God, who is in fact leading all things back to Israel. How many of you know that? Where the final drama will be played out on God's stage. And though the enemy thinks he's in control and the enemy thinks he's subverting the work of God, God is in complete control. But there are things and there are acts that happen in the physical realm that unlock things in the spirit realm. I think a perfect example in our lifetime is September 9th, 2011, that when the World Trade Center was attacked and those buildings came down, uh, uh, no matter who you think did it, all sorts of conspiracy theories as to who did it, why it was done, and so forth. None of that really matters, but what happened was it unlocked a spirit of fear and terror in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realm. And so the enemy has increased in the spiritual warfare that we're in like never before. Um, In fact, most uh, social anthropologists know and and calculate the generation after 9-11, They say that there was a cultural shift in 9-11 that children look at the world differently than you and I do. Anybody born post-9-11 has a different worldview than most of us have. 
and they're in a worldview based on this kind of trauma. And it can bring a spirit of fear. But we have to be the people who have a spirit of hope, amen? And you have to remember this equation. I'm going to remind it to you over and over and over again. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That's an equation that will never be broken, will never cease, it will never diminish. It can't diminish. It's an increasing uh, equation. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So if the enemy has a full frontal attack and is increasing in his power and in his might to tear things down, what does that verse tell us? That where sin abounds, grace will much more abound. Grace will always trump sin. Grace will always be a provision. And that means God's in control. Amen? So don't forget that equation. When you're overwhelmed, when you feel troubled, you remember that that grace will abound. Even Paul was struggling when he had to have an issue of a a thorn in the flesh, something that continually affected him, continually. He prayed three times, God, remove this, God, remove this. God said, my grace will abound for you. My grace is sufficient for this. It's there for a reason. It's accomplishing a task in your life, and my grace will compensate for anything this thing's doing. Amen? So remember that equation. Well, uh, personally, I believe something happened just like 9-11 this last Sunday. On this last Sunday, uh, on February 14th, 21 Coptic Christians were beheaded in Libya. Uh, They were taken to the Mediterranean seashore, and uh, there was a message to the nations, especially the nations of the cross. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what that is, the nations of the cross. The statement was this, all praise is due to Allah, the strong and mighty, and, many ble- and may blessings and peace be upon the ones sent by the sword as mercy to all the worlds. This was the lead killer uh, declaring, and he said that um, they're going to kill as many Christians as they can. And he speaks of how ISIL has been seen chopping off the heads of those who have been carrying the cross delusion for a long time and uh, he prophesies that the war will continue with this group until Jesus comes down from the heavens breaking the cross and quilling, killing the swine that is a reference uh, of Islam where they believe Jesus will return and break the cross they see the cross as an offense an offensive sign that Jesus prophet Jesus is going to destroy that which is the emblem of Christians and kill the swine which is a reference to the Jews. So this is a religious war, okay? And um, we need to be aware of that. Now, first of all, I want to make sure we preface this so that as Christians you don't act out in the flesh. You don't go after the flesh and say it's us against them. Um, we We don't want to harm or hurt anybody We don't want to put all Muslims in this camp. I want you to understand there are many locked into Islam that want to get free, that want Jesus. They need to find a Savior. They're looking for God. They don't know any other way. And so they need to know that there is a Savior in Jesus Christ who loves them and wants to reach them. But there is a radical element that's following Islam that is out to really create a spiritual dilemma in the earth to destroy uh, Christianity and Judaism. Um, The Quran says, well, actually the surahs, surah 47 says, when you encounter the unbelievers on the battlefield, strike off their heads until you've crushed them completely, then bind the prisoners tightly. But surah 812 really emphasizes 
what's happening, what we're seeing in the media, what we're seeing ISIL and ISIS doing uh, throughout the regions. Uh, and Surah 8.12 says, I will cast dread into the hearts of the unbelievers. Strike off their heads then and strike off all their fingertips. So the concept of decapitation, cutting off heads, this is very brutal. You'll think, why are you telling me this? Because you need to be aware of the age. You understand what's going on. But it is, to, in fact, to incite terror. That's why these groups are called terrorist groups. The concept of terror was originated by Satan himself. Terror does something to the psyche of a people and a nation. And if he can cripple people by fear, Satan knows the power of fear. How many of you know that Satan was defeated at the cross? He was disarmed and uh, his assignment is done. He was vanquished and finished. So the only real weapon that the enemy has to use is fear and intimidation to get us to be paralyzed. He can't paralyze a believer, but a, paralyzed, a believer can paralyze themselves in fear. And so terror is the concept of causing fear. Terror creates a, a shattering of personalities. This is one way to break down people. This is a way that uh, you can program people and break them into multiple personalities. Through terror, you can begin to divide people. And so fear and terror begins to uh, strike panic and mayhem into a people and disorder and uh, disunity. And so that's why the Spirit of God is a spirit of unity, but the spirit of the enemy is a spirit of disunity and terror and fear. And so here is, right, right in this surah, is the concept of what's being done and what's being played on the world stage. By beheading, they're striking utter fear in the hearts of many. Isn't it interesting in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, it says concerning the souls who were martyred during the tribulation, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. And there was a countless number that could not be numbered. And isn't it interesting in the years of tribulation, when the tribulation comes to the earth and when there is such a crisis uh, and the Antichrist moving and ruling in such a way that beheading is going to be the form and the method of terrorism. Well, this links very closely to Islam and it links very closely to what the spirit of the ages is doing. Okay? So, uh, it's interesting, William McCant says this, it's one thing to fly an ISIS flag, a lot of people are doing it, uh, says the researcher at the Brooklyn's Institute on Islamic militants. It's another thing to capture a bunch of Egyptian Coptics or Christians and kill them and see it as some part of a grand final day battle. Um, so we're in the midst of, of a real spiritual stirring. Now, Perhaps this is not the end of days. Perhaps this is not the end of time. But it is certainly a new phase of spiritual warfare. You have to understand that. That we are heading into a new age of spiritual warfare like never before. Now, 21 killed. I began to ask the Lord today, why 21? What's the significance of the number 21? Why would they select 21 Christians to martyr and kill? 
I mean, you have to begin asking these things. These have spiritual dimensions, especially to those who are planning these things. Now, this thing was well thought out, well planned out, and according to those who have seen the video, I will not watch it. I refuse to watch stuff like that. Uh, they said that this video was, was produced uh, highly effective, quite well done with certain camera swipes and takes in a certain scene with good lighting and all this, these effects. This was thought out. Why 21? Well, the significance about the number 21 is number 21 is the number of destruction, of universal termination. It's a divine number or a sacred number, as many believe, expressing the notion of the chief, what is in authority, representing unknown superiors or the great spiritual masters of humanity. Now that's what this is about, who's in charge, who is ruling the world, who is going to run things, and the spiritual climate of the nations. And it is definitely a a move to say, we are chief over you. And so as the message is a sign with blood to the nations of the cross, that's what it's entitled, a, a sign with blood to the nations of the cross it is saying we're superior, we're going to dominate, and we're going to bring the end of the age. And so something's being triggered in the spirit realm. Whether they're doing it or not, it is releasing the move of the enemy. Now, let me remind you, all right, so you're not all freaked out. <laughs> Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So if the enemy's going to release then the Lord is going to release a mighty force in the earth as well through the power of His church, His people. Now, I want to bring something up as well. What is America's response to this terrorism? On February 5th, the, uh, the uh, National Prayer Breakfast was held in Washington, D.C., and one of the guest speakers was uh, President Obama. And in his speech, this was just a week after the pilot, the Jordanian pilot, was burned to death by ISIL. He made this statement, Humanity has been grappling with these questions throughout human history. Lest we get on our high horse and think this is unique to some other place, remember that during the Crusades and the Inquisition, people committed terrible deeds in the name of Christ. In our home country, slavery and Jim Crow all too often was justified in the name of Christ. And you can hear the sound bites and you can hear what President Obama said at a prayer breakfast in the midst of this kind of terrorism. When you distill this and understand what's being said is he refuses to call it Islamic terrorism, uh, but it's radical terrorism. I understand the point he's trying to make in the sense that there have always been religious fanatics. There have been atrocities done by people in the name of Jesus. I would agree with that. I understand that. But the problem of comparing what ISIS is doing to what the church has done in the past can't equate. The Crusades were a response. And and the problem also, for him to use the reference of the Crusades, two weeks later in February 14th, when this video was released, it was to the Crusaders. Muslims call Christians crusaders. Those who are opposing Christianity in the Islamic world call Christians crusaders. They reference the crusades. And so for President Obama to reference the crusades is almost to defend 
the Islamic terrorism and to say it's equal, that Christian terrorism that happened in the Crusades is equal to what is happening in Muslim uh, terrorism. Now, you will find atrocities in the Crusades, but the difference is this. The Christian Bible, Jesus Christ, has never validated any form of this kind of terrorism or murder. The Bible itself says that it will not condone evil. And therefore, the Bible was opposed to those who said they were doing things in the name of Jesus. The Bible would be, in fact, a thing that judges them by doing things in the name of Jesus that are wrong, where the Quran supports things done against uh, Christians and Jews and violence. So the, the fundamental difference is the source and foundation of what their books say are right or wrong. The Crusades were a response. I'm not going to get into this, but the Crusades were a response to Islamic jihads that had taken so much of the land and murdered so many people that the Christians were responding through the Crusades to the terrorism of that day and age. But anyways, the key point is Christianity and Jesus never condones this kind of violence. And so there may be radicals who say that we did this in the name of Jesus, but Jesus would not condone it. He even mentions the Jim Crow laws and slavery in America, and many people use the Bible to support it. But let's not forget, we just celebrated Martin Luther King, we just celebrated the pastor and the Christian emphasis that stopped that atrocity in the name of Jesus by properly rendering what Jesus said. And so it was the Christian Bible and the Christian emphasis that spoke against those who said they were using Scripture properly. And so the Bible canceled out those who were wrongly using the Bible. And yet we're not hearing that from other Muslim leaders concerning the Quran. We're not hearing any criticism of this kind of behavior from the mainstay of Islam. I'm not trying to create a greater hatred towards Islam. We're to love the people of Islam. We're to love all people of all religions and all kinds. Why? So that we can win them to Christ at any cost, and the cost is our own lives, not theirs. That's the Christian difference. The difference of our gospel is we will lay our lives down to bring you to Christ instead of take your life out. Do you see the difference? It's fundamentally different. And so we will lay our lives down. Why do I bring this up with the president? Because what I want you to understand is America is not defending Christianity. It's over. It's up to the church. You can't look to your government anymore to defend or protect you. What does that mean? The church is on its own. And you know what? It may need to be on its own so that we can purify what the gospel says and there'll be clear delineation as to what a true Christian is and what a cultural Christian is. Does that make sense to you? So that's why I bring this up. Now, what does it mean? What I'm trying to show you and bring you to a sense of the culture and environment you're in right now is that Christianity is under attack. 
Christianity is under attack. And the video from Sunday is an illustration of where we're at in the world, as well as the prayer breakfast from a week ago, uh, two weeks ago, in the sense that Christianity is on its own now. What does that mean? There has been Christian persecution since 30 A.D. There have been 70 million Christians martyred since 30 A.D. But what is interesting is this. From A.D. 30 to the 20th century, there were only 25 million martyrdoms of Christians. In the 20th century, that's the 1900s, 45 million Christians lost their lives because of their faith. Do you see the increase? It's ramping up. There have been more Christians almost double killed in the 20th century than all the centuries beforehand. So it is beginning to ramp up. But let me encourage you with this. There are more souls coming to Jesus Christ than ever before in human history as well. The church is on fire. The church is moving powerfully. And so what comes with it has to be an overcoming spirit to overcome fear. We're winning the lost. We want to reach people who are trapped in terror. You know, when people are in a burning building, they're paralyzed, they're terrorized, and they're afraid. But what happens when the firemen come? They run into the building to rescue the perishing. We're the firemen of this age. We're the ones who are to run into that building and to save those who are trapped in Islam, who are trapped in Buddhism, who are trapped in atheism, who are trapped in our enemies. We're to lay our lives down to rescue the perishing. This is what the Christian's called to do. But we'll never do it if we're paralyzed by the same fear the world's paralyzed by. Does that make sense to you? Because the way we can get past this and not be paralyzed is because we have a different spirit that governs us. It is not a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of love. Love that'll break down any wall. Love that'll do anything to reach a a lost soul. But it's love and it is power. Power from on high. Power that can take captive every thought that has elevated itself up against Jesus Christ. Power that can destroy and demolish the work of the enemy. And a sound mind that will not be paralyzed by fear, but will be motivated by the power and love of Jesus Christ. Amen? So what we see now in the 21st century is an acceleration. In the year 2011, 105,000 Christians were martyred that year. That means 287 per day, 12 per hour, one every five minutes. So Christians are losing their lives because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're also standing in the face of persecution, to preach a gospel that is reaching the persecutors. One of the main prayers of the Christian church, of those who are persecuted, is not that they would be taken out of harm's way or rescued from that persecution, but in fact that they would stay faithful through no matter what they're going through. That's a shift in ideology, isn't it? That's a shift in prayer. While most of the Western realm of Christianity is saying, bring the rapture, get me out of here before it gets too tough, the rest of the world that is captured under persecution doesn't pray that prayer. They pray, may I be faithful to the end. 
He who is faithful to the end will receive a crown and a reward. That's where the church is at. In 41 of the 50 worst nations for persecution, Christians are being persecuted by Islamist extremists. I really think that that's going to be the spirit of the Antichrist as it comes in uh, through the Islamic. But again, we're not to wage war with Islam. We're to win the lost. That is our war. Paul says our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's in the heavenlies. And so you've got to shift. You can't, you've got to be so careful not to get caught up in this mania of war, of fighting. You have to get up into the heavenlies and begin to war in that realm. So guard your hearts. So what must we do? So this is where, as an introduction uh, to our study over the next number of Wednesdays, is how to have overcoming fear, uh, how to break fear. Um, we have to ask the question, what are we to do? So there's, there's three possibilities. Number one is fight. Now, so we could possibly become a Christian militia. And, you know, we're building a new building. We could maybe dig underground there and put guns and bazookas and arms. And we could uh, get a bunch of guns and we could train and learn how to fight and shoot and kill anybody that's against Jesus. Um, I think Jesus answered that in the garden with Peter one night, didn't he? In an illustration where Peter was ready to kill anybody who would come after his master and took out a sword and went to slice someone. And uh, Jesus said, Peter, if you live by the sword, you will certainly what? Die by the sword. And there's not much of a testimony there. And so there are many who are saying, pick up arms. Um, I'm not denying that there may be a time where you're going to have to defend yourself and your family, your children. I understand that. And I'll leave that as it is. God will have to direct you. But I don't think our solution as the church is to take up arms and go to war. There may have to be wars fought, though, to maintain cultures. But they have to be through a just war balance and a reason why. Anarchy is what will take place if everybody begins starting with their own militias. There are so many militias out there that uh, it's going to be interesting. The government will declare martial law to take care of all of that, and it's going to be ugly. So I don't know if fighting is the answer. How about flight? Why don't we get off the grid and become survivalists? And that's a big move right now. There's a lot of folks who are training and learning how to get off the grid, how to supply their own energy and get their own food. I, that's good. I think you need to be wise and know how to do these things. We're going to have to learn how to survive. We're going to have to learn how to handle these things. So I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's bad. But what we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, is not to, what can I do to save myself at all costs, but what can I do to win the lost? Dare we forget why we're here? We're here to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be getting into this later through the weeks, but what you have to remember is, in order to be saved, you already gave up your life. And so you could crawl through the woods eating berries and squirrels and keep yourself alive as long as you can. 
and you might be able to fend off an enemy and shoot and kill them. But where's the witness? When will that kick in? So we really have to ask ourselves, is it fight, is it flight, or is it faith? And I'm believing that we're going to have to move into a new realm of faith. We're going to have to move into a new realm of dependency on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and on God. Instead of my survival skills, I want to lean on His survival skills. I want to turn right when He tells me to turn right. I want to turn left when He tells me to turn left. I will avoid what the enemy is going to do by what He directs me to do. And I will lay my life down when He tells me to lay my life down. Instead of me trying to rule that through my own warfare and my own survival tactics. Again, I do not deny that you need to take care of your family and take care of your well-being. I do not deny that you need to defend yourself. But all of that must be under, first, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He directs you to do. So how are we going to prepare for this tribulation? Well, you might say, well, pastor, we don't have to. We don't have to prepare for tribulation because we're going out. The rapture's coming before any of this happens, and thank God we don't have to deal with any of it. I would disagree with you. Some of you would, I used to, I taught this for years, but as I've studied the Word of God, I really believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation. I really do, because as you read this, you'll continually see a reference to those who love Jesus. You'll continually see a reference to the incredible revival that'll take place during the seven years of tribulation. In fact, it says that there are so many souls saved during the tribulation, it is a number too many that anyone could number. Wow. That's the whole point, brothers and sisters, of the tribulation. It's the last call before the lights come on and this thing called planet Earth is shut down. It's last call. It's the perfect week. It's the last seven years of God reaping the harvest of souls of who will come. Every judgment is given to produce a harvest. And so there will be waves of Christians who will give their lives to produce a harvest for more to be born again. As Paul said, we are sheep led to the slaughter. For what purpose? Eternal salvation to bring souls to the kingdom. Now, I actually believe that we're going to go through that. Now, what I want to share with you are some of the points on how to prepare for the Great Tribulation. I share them from Cory Ten Boom. I don't know if you're familiar with who Cory Ten Boom was. Cory Ten Boom felt that the pre-tribulation rapture was one of the biggest problems and mistakes that ever came in doctrine to the church. Why would she have that perspective? If you understand her story, she protected the Jews during the Holocaust. As a little girl, they saved hundreds and hundreds of Jews as they hid them in their house against Nazi Germans. Eventually, her and her sister were caught and put in the uh, prison camps, the death camps in Germany. Her sister died, she made it through. And so she understood what tribulation was about. She understood what it would mean to suffer for Christ and to give your life. And so she felt the church needed to understand how to be prepared for times of tribulation. Again, hey, I could be wrong, and this isn't the last seven years of tribulation coming soon. Fine, but tribulation's here. Are you ready for it? What must we do? 
how can we live through it? And so I want to share with you what Corrie Ten Boom uh, shared with the church in her age, in her, in her day. She wrote a letter to the church in 1974 and, and shared these concepts, and I want to share them with you. So how do we overcome fear? And I loved this photo uh, as I was searching for an illustration of what to do. Um, water can be terrifying, can it? And waves are powerful, destructive. But I saw this surfer riding this wave of terror. And what he did was overcame the fear of that terror and utilized its power to propel his mission. And that's what Jesus is going to do. You've got to change your perspective on things. We're entering into the greatest time of harvest, the greatest time when the church is going to come into full stature. We've not seen full stature. We look at the early church and we think, oh, if we could be like that. You want to be in diapers again? Pentecost was the church in diapers. What do you think the church is going to be like when it reaches full stature? Right? Full stature. And so one of the first things that Corey Ten Boom says is, to get ready for tribulation, you must know the Word of God. I've seen this and witnessed this myself firsthand in China with the underground church. They know the Word of God. The Word of God is the first thing that enters their mind in the morning. It's the last thing that is in their mind before they sleep. Uh, when I was teaching to the underground church uh, on a number of different occasions, when I couldn't find a passage, I would simply put a portion of the verse out to the people, and they would give me five or six verses as to, that would have that same. They were the Strong's Concordance. I would just have to put a word out, and they would give me five or six scriptures. They would get, no, no, yeah, that's the one. Where is it? They had their Bibles memorized. These people understood the Word of God, so they did not lean on their own understanding. When an event would take place, when an experience would happen, it would automatically trigger a word of the Lord in their heart and mind. We've got to get back to the book. We've got to study the book. We have been lulled to sleep with entertainment. You've got to know the Word of God. So, number one, we've got to get back to memorizing Scripture, brothers and sisters. We need to start memorizing Scripture. And for most of all, we've got to put the Word of God to work in our lives. It works. These are principles. This isn't history. We've been reading it wrong. This isn't historical information. These are precepts and principles that are to be applied. That's when Logos becomes rhema. We're all looking for a rhema in the sense that I want something to jump off the page at me. That's revelation. Rhema is when you put logos into your body and it is activated to do and to act. Now the logos is a living word. The word was intended to go into you and become alive. Now if you're only operating on a few words you're not fully using the capacity you have by the Word of God. Let's become the Word of God. That's what we need to do. Secondly, we need to learn to pray like never before. We're bored in prayer. We're not interested in prayer. 
Because what we've been doing with prayer is basically reciting ideas. Giving lists and ideas for God to perform. Do this and do that. Do this and do that. We've not been taking our authority. We've not been interacting with Him personally. We've not been learning His heart and hearing His voice. God needs us to learn to pray. We need to spend more time doing this. Now, how are we going to learn to pray? You have to get to know the Jesus that is alive and at the right hand of the Father through the Spirit that's in you. Not the historical Jesus. Glad you know history about Him. But do you know Him? Do you understand Him? Do you hear His voice? He's here to speak to you and I. Get to know His voice. And to the Christians and to the churches that say, you can't hear from God except reading the Word. Ah, they're going to be overcome by the fear of this age. Secondly, you need to be baptized in this Spirit. You need to be immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to pray through you, and most of all, He needs to speak through you. You not only need to live the Word, you must speak its power. The church, once again, must be the church that speaks the authority of heaven. Not our opinions, not theology, but the words of heaven coming out of you. The only way that can happen is by you declaring by the unction of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what we want to pursue. So we need to know the Word. We need to learn to pray. Thirdly, the body of Christ must come together. We've got to unite. We've got to come together. I believe there's a time and there's an age coming. God bless you for being here tonight. And God bless those who aren't here. There's many who are in the youth building because they're working on the purity series with their kids. Thank God for that. But there's a lot of folks not here. I understand there's many reasons why. But I believe there's coming a day where we're going to fight, we're going to claw through weather, we're going to do everything we can to get together, to get a word from God, and to first of all just edify and build each other up, and to get the prayer we need. (coughs) The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is an end times verse. Many people don't realize that what is key to the end times for the church is the gathering of the church together. What's funny to me is that at this point in time, in our spiritual crisis in the world and in the warfare that's ramping up, there is a spirit in the church that says, you no longer need to gather. You can have your own little meetings, your own private times. You don't need to go to church anymore. We take church attendance by the month now used to be weekly. Now we do it by the month. Because people only attend church twice a month, once a month. Which is really interesting to me in this day and age when people are being paralyzed by a spirit of fear. People are no longer wanting to go to church because it's just not as entertaining as it used to be. We're missing the point. But I'm telling you, if we would know the Word of God and learn to pray and God moves among His people we would be excited to get here. And I'm believing we're going to see testimonies and hear things as the Spirit of God moves. There's one thing that's going to draw people back to church. Can I tell you what it is? The Holy Spirit of God. It's the fire of God. 
We don't need entertainment. We don't need lighting. We don't need a, a great speaker. We just need the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And it's coming. It's coming with power. It's coming with anointing. You're going to want to get here and not miss out on anything that the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's what's going to change the church. Can you imagine that when God pours out His Spirit already, you know how many churches are on every street corner throughout these cities? There's, they're everywhere. What happens when the Spirit of God un, unblocks all the wells and water of the Spirit begins to rush in every church building? They'll be filled, filled. And overnight, the church will be on fire and the landscape in the, in the heavenlies will change. It's the only thing that will save this nation. It's going to be awesome, and it's coming. But you need to be the forerunners. You need to be the people who will ache at the altar for it. You need to be those who will prime for the move of God to come. You need to unite the body. He says, don't give up giving to, uh, coming together, as some make a habit to do. The new habit is not getting together. That's a problem. But encourage one another as the day approaches. Capital D, the day. What day is he referencing? The day of trouble, the day of the tribulation, the day of the end time. And that's when you need to get together. It's coming. Last of all, we need to overcome. We need to overcome the spirit of fear. Jesus says this, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth, dismay among the nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves. Let me just say this. There's going to be a cataclysmic shaking in the heavenlies look at all the realms he's talking about so in the second heavens and in the first heavens around the earth there's going to be a shaking that is the realm of spiritual dimensions satan is the power prince of the power of the air so it's in these heavenlies that you're going to see shaking loose you're going to see all this kind of spiritual activity in the heavenlies as sun moon and stars and then on the earth there's going to be dismay among the nations rivalry and display and dismay and then perplexity like roaring sea of waves that is the amount of fear verse 26 men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world so there is going to be such a spirit of fear that men's hearts will fail them for the powers of the heavens will be what shaken the powers of the heavens. The Bible explicitly tells us who is in control of the powers of the first and second heavens. Who is that? Satan, the enemy. He's the prince of the power of the air. And they will be shaken. Can I tell you why? There's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. Because you've got to understand what will shake the enemy. Yes, he'll be like a roaring lion. Yes, he'll be loosed and yes, he'll be coming. But the reason they'll be shaken is because as Jesus sent his 70 out into the town and they came back rejoicing because demons were cast out, he rejoiced saying, I saw Satan cast down from heaven like lightning. And that was a reference not to the end times, not to the time of his cross. It was for that moment, for that day, when his disciples walked into that town and pulled the stronghold over that city down. The heavens were shaken over that city because the church was loosed into it. The heavens will be shaken because the church will be on fire and the warfare in the heavenlies will be nothing like the warfare on earth. 
But who's going to do that? Those who are no longer afraid of what they see on the earth because they're battling and warring in the heavenlies. When we come together on Wednesday nights, when we come together on Sunday mornings, we're going to have detailed plans and strategies as to how to pull the stronghold down over this city or that neighborhood or this situation. We're going to strategically pray into situations, casting down demons, seeing people delivered, people healed. There'll be strategies that we're going to be led in the Spirit of God that are going to be like standing in a war room and getting the intelligence agency through prayer to release missiles into the heavenlies and destroy what the enemy's trying to do. Come on, you've got to believe for this kind of thing. It's time to have an overpowering anointing to overcome the fear that will overcome everyone else. I want to teach, I want to learn how to do that. Are you with me? then let's pray together right now.